0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Michael Carl Erie, Timothy John Stafford, coming at you live um, from the interwebs, uh, the deep corners of the country, um, (laughs) Central Ohio, Northern California. Timothy, how are you today? I'm good, Michael. How are you? Nice. I'm doing great. Doggone it. I'm doing great. Seth Erie was down with COVID. He's feeling better. So we're thankful for that. We're in the process of packing our house in Columbus, which is unpleasant, you just moved mm. from nice. um, how many, how, How? like, how much mileage away was your move? A like quarter two miles? of a mile. A quarter of a mile. <laughs> very, very, very short. But now you own a house.
1: Yeah. Well, I own well, um, a large loan. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's you know, true Own a house in 30 years yes yes exactly exactly and uh when they show you the um what you'll actually pay for the house yeah. you know it's <laughs> just it's one of the most heart you know breaking moments of like oh that oh makes
1: you think that you are definitely in the wrong business
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. you are taking
1: how much money from me?
0: Wow! Uh, so we got a whole heck of a lot today, Timothy. Um, first, before we do anything, I want to thank the the people that have come on this week to our uh, Patreon and support teams. I mean, it's ridiculous every week with that. What a what an honor we get to thank you people. So thank you, Kelsey. Kelsey, thank you, William, and thank you, Ty. For uh, your support and encouragement, and for those of you that that are interested, um, you can do that at voxpodcast.com, and there are links to a place called Tithely, which is great for sort of one-time gifts, although we do have some people that do like regular support there. And then yeah. Patreon, if you go to Vox Podcast, if you search Vox Podcast with Mike Geary on Patreon... Um, uh, you can find us there also so that that is so we're so grateful for that and then again if if um you aren't interested in uh or not able to financially participate man liking rating subscribing sharing all of that stuff is super helpful to us too the 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 big thing of course is that we're just grateful to be a part of What's going on? Because we benefit most of all. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, as much as you guys uh, affirm and question and challenge and wrestle, um, it's such a delight to kind of let a, a whole group of people in to the things we're learning and wrestling with. Yeah. And like Tim said last episode, um, there are several of us who are just cu- all throughout the week in a, a myriad of ways, but through Marco Polo which is, I'm embarrassed uh, that that's the name of the app. Um, we're constantly wrestling and talking and asking and, um, and being curious about things. And so it's really just a whole heck of a lot of fun. So today I just, uh, I've just i got a couple, a, a couple of emails I want to respond to. Uh, we get so much email and it's phenomenal. And, and it's almost always incredible. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm hundreds of emails behind hundreds of hundreds. emails behind because they're, because rarely are they short answers. <laughs> and so I'm, try, I'm going to try to do a better job of getting to some of these in episodes, uh, for people who give us that permission. It's from Julie. Julie. And, and the, the mask conversation has provoked lots of good conversation. So Julie gave us permission to share this, um, Uh, She said, when I was diagnosed with an allergy to penicillin, the doctor told me that since penicillin is a mold, I need to avoid foods that commonly have molds until I stopped reacting to the penicillin apparently, if you hit your allergy threshold, like my reaction to the penicillin, and if you expose yourself to other similar allergens that you normally wouldn't react to, you might start reacting to them, right? You hit a threshold and then that you might become allergic to other things too. I feel like this is the way it is with loneliness. So she's talking about the mass conversation. Yeah. I wondered at the beginning of the pandemic, if Westerners that live in extremely individualistic societies already had reached their threshold of loneliness and any additional isolation or separation would drive them to distraction. And I think the Mm. answer to that has clearly been yes. (laughs) We were already (laughs) an incredibly lonely culture prior to the pandemic. It's almost like we don't have enough meaningful relationships to sustain us through a year or two of relative physical isolation. Um, physical separation seems to me to be the scratching at the scab of our soul wound inflicted because we've convinced ourselves or have been convinced by others that we can do life by ourselves. Um, ironically, I think even married people keep much of their souls to themselves.
1: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's absolutely true. So as I've been listening to friends and family perseverate on their lockdown experiences, I've observed that those who have weathered this crisis have at least one soul-deep connection with another person, even if they live by themselves. And this has caused me to wonder if soul-deep friendships transcend physical solitude. Mm. And I thought, boy, I think she she might be on to something. Because Zoom, Zoom's a pain, but Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I've been lonely. Yeah. And, and, and some of that is the, um, the friendships that I have, you know, and I'm friends with people like all over the country and distance is the only way we maintain those friendships. Right. So I, I don't know. I just thought, Hey, that's a really interesting take on this. And, and for some, maybe the mask conversation is an extension of that, Mm -hmm. you know, totally so I just thought between what Julie was saying and what Kristen said, I'm like, good. Okay, that's good. There are other things at play than just being,
1: I don't know. Um, now it seems to be a really important lesson. We've talked a, a f- about a few things that have been illuminated or revealed yeah. through the pandemic. Yes. Um, obviously, a lot of societal things, a lot of political things, a lot of different things like that, but I think this I, this conversation about community and loneliness has been uh, perhaps one that has not. I, people bring it up, but I don't think, especially my experience of seeing the churches, this has not been addressed. The only way that it's been addressed has been trying to get back to church. But like, the, but the stuff that she's talking about, I think, is really. It's a really profound. Yeah. Like we've talked about, like I'm the most extreme introvert that I know by a few miles. Um, I don't mind wearing a mask into a store. <laughs>
0: even <laughs> like, like yeah, even, even when it's normal. Yeah. You might or, just stick you know, with it. You might just stick yeah, with it. I might forever. just keep
1: doing it because it, it uh, allows me to <laughs> coast through the aisles on my own. I'm totally fine with it. But <laughs> there is, you know, it's been a hard lesson for me to learn how much I do need other people. Uh, even though what I feel at my core is that I'm at my best when I'm alone. Yeah. So it's been an interesting, and the marriage thing, I see that all the time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, marriage certainly is no guarantee of camaraderie no. or soul connection or whatever. Um. So excellent, Julie. Thank you for that thought. And I love that this has stirred up some some sympathetic yeah. thoughts. It's, been,
1: it's kind of uh it's been surprising it's been interesting that there's been yeah so much further mining of this topic
0: yes and and with such great empathy Um yes. which which i did not lead with um so i love it i love it because i'm learning too so this is from we'll call him jeremy a church planner in portland oregon Um, and, uh, he said, it's been hard in the last month. We found out we're yet again, losing some key leaders and it's wrecking us. Church planning is a really, really hard thing. As I was listening to the episode, I thought it would be great to have a tool to process our reactions with the idea. Is this an old creation response or a new creation response? Um, this comes out of the last episode, so I would recommend you listen to that. Uh, would you say the Sermon on the Mount is the primary place to define those new creation responses? Are there other places to consider new creation responses within the Bible? Uh, well, I've had many years of Bible and theology training in college and seminary, we never talked about this stuff. And over the years of listening to the podcast, I've grown in this and see it as a better way to think. Me too. Hmm. Me too. So what a great question. Um, so here's something that Gombus, when we when he and I were talking privately... Um, he, he recommend, he, he does this thing that I've now stolen completely, but it's brilliant. <laughs> he actually goes through when he's reading Paul, um, and he, he maps two like a Venn diagram. Um, so two overlapping circles, but they overlap just a little bit. And one is kind of old creation responses. And one is new creation responses or old creation dynamics and new creation dynamics. And so he'll map on those the vice lists that Paul will often give. So he'll, you know, Paul will talk about gossip, slander, division, right? Those things golden the old creation dynamic. He'll talk about unity or humility or treating others um, as uh, as a, as Jesus sort of relinquished his rights, um, that we would relinquish ours and take the place of humility. Um, and and you can actually map. And and Gombas is so Gambis said he does this kind of as an exercise, and I've I've started doing it as I'm just in the Bible, and and obviously the Sermon on the Mount is the place to start. I just think everything else is commentary on that sucker, right? I mean that is that is that is. So you're absolutely right that the Sermon on the Mount is the um, is the example uh, par excellence of. Oh. New creation dynamics, but I think Paul, it, the 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 joy has bring has been because I enjoy reading the Gospels um, far more than I enjoy reading the epistles, um, and. I have read the epistles now differently because I'm on the lookout for like when Paul will say things like the wisdom of the world. So that's so then I'm asking, well, what's the wisdom of the world? What's that mean? Because he's the world there isn't like the wisdom of the other people. It's the wisdom of the old age. What's the wisdom of the old age um, that that Jesus confounded? You know, when he died on the cross. Uh, I mean, it opens up. So anytime you're reading in Paul things like uh, this present age or the age to come, um, Mm -hmm. or flesh and spirit, or um, light and dark in John's letters, um, you'll often, you'll you'll begin to see these patterns sort of emerge uh, Mm -hmm. that are located around hospitality and humility, and then located around self-centeredness and self-seeking. And, uh, and power grasping and and it's really interesting then to consider uh, take that map and then lay it over the church as an institution <coughs> and all of the ways we institutionally react to things and then and then corporately because I, I read those I read those dynamics individually, but that's not how they're meant to be read those are corporate right. dynamics between people and to be embodied in churches. And so, so then you map it onto a church, like how do we treat leadership? How do we view leadership? How do we empower leadership? How do we, um, where, where are we setting aside our rights for the sake of the other? Where are we welcoming the other? Where are we, um, you know, I mean, you just start asking these huge, huge questions. <coughs> and it's, it's, it's super interesting. So it's, it's opened up. Paul's letters to me in ways that um, hadn't been opened before. Yeah. So that just that simple idea of mapping new creation, old creation, and realizing that we kind of stand at the intersection of the two. That's where the middle of the Venn diagram.
1: Yeah,
0: um, We stand at the, the intersection of the two ages. And the, the greatest temptation of the church is to use old creation dynamics to bring about new creation results. Totally. Um, it, it has been so, it has been incredible to think to how, how does Paul conceive of himself as a pastor and a shepherd and a leader and a teacher and a apostle, right? You run it through that grid and it's like, oh my goodness, Paul, I, I don't think Paul would have a social media account where he's boasting about, you know, how the new book he's writing and how hard it is to write his new book. Um, and you know, whatever. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. So, um, so Jeremy You rock, and and anyway, that's how I'm doing it, and I would invite you into that too. Just get a big, big whiteboard, and uh, and start mapping these. These are dynamics that almost all are corporate, Um, and um, and so
1: exciting that there's folks that are planting churches that are asking these questions now.
0: Oh my goodness! Because yes,
1: you know it, it gives me a lot of hope for what could come from. Uh, And it actually gives me a lot of questions because you even, you talked last week or two weeks ago about tossing out a bunch of leadership books and that kind of stuff. Like what does it actually mean to lead a church or is that even a thing? I was thinking about last week with the worship leading, like we, there's just so much power or importance placed upon some of those roles. And I'm curious as to what they really should be or should mean to lead and yeah, um, I don't know. So, but the, but I think running it through some of those oh. lens or those diagrams or whatever is helpful to yeah figure out what that really means.
0: And and for if you're up for a a, a good but challenging read, pick up Gombus's new book, Power in Weakness. And even though he's not using that language not the from whole Amazon, way, though. no, no, he, he on his uh, on his uh, podcast he clearly states. disdain for amazon over and over and over but it's it's um it's it's this conversation around pastoral ministry um how do we how do we embody pastoring in and church leading in new covenant uh new creation dynamics so anyway wonderful stuff one last question and then we'll dive in to the content today um, I mean, this is, this is why I just love being a part of this community. I'm constantly pushed to be thinking about these things. Okay, so we'll call uh, this young lady, Jennifer. We have Jeremy and Jennifer, who are kind of our stand-in names. And um, uh, my whole family are Trump fans. I went to an art institute and did a lot of deconstructing politically over the past few years. This past year wrecked me. I felt like I've deconstructed so much. That it feels like a bomb went off in my church of beliefs. And now I'm staring Mm. at single bricks, trying to figure out which ones are worth putting back together and wondering where the mortar is. What a great image. Um, The only thing I know in my bones is that we should be loving people and supplying safe space for others no matter where they stand in life. I don't think it's any of my business to tell anyone that their lifestyle is wrong. And I think that the LGBTQ plus community needs to hear how much they are loved and made in the image of God now more than ever. Enough of the hate and xenophobia. Uh, What I've been meaning to ask is this. How does one reconstruct? How does one even start? I feel so broken. And while I'm sure there are tons more I need to deconstruct, I feel like I need to reconstruct something. You can only survive without shelter for so long. Boom. Oh my goodness. But I ladies with the poetic uh yes and i could not the the emails she left bounced back so i reached out twice and so i don't i don't have her permission so i'm skipping other things um but i thought the question and the images were so good yeah um so so the first thing i'd want to say is i'd want to ask our audience i think it'd be super interesting to hear from you audience what are practices, books, things, people that have been helpful in reconstructing? I, I would yeah. love to hear that. There are loads of resources out there about deconstructing. What mm. are things that have been helpful to you for reconstructing? So Vox, what do you think about that? Secondly, Tim, what do you think, man? You've been in the, in the middle of, of this for, for quite a while. What would you say?
1: What would I say if I'm trying to rebuild... Yeah. What I've learned I think has been you start with that cornerstone and everything else um I'm being very patient with. And I mean cornerstone by you know the Sermon on the Mount series was very helpful for me because I have I while we went through that and I try to reiterate this often on the podcast that I'm Processing and learning in real time just like someone sitting in the car often. I will forget that I'm recording and I'm just listening (laughs) and trying to um, But like with the things like the Sermon on the Mount I have pushed all that debris all those bricks all that mortar. I pushed them all aside Hmm. Like everything out and I'm sitting on an empty foundation with that one cornerstone and trying to figure out Hmm. Very intentionally how I put those bricks back together Or maybe I'm not even putting bricks back together because I'm, I think that just to keep running with this analogy, uh, my experience has been that there's too much confining structure, um, exclusive structure, or I don't know, I, I'm so bent on this communal, uh, Mm -hmm this communal idea and the way that Jesus framed it and, um, the way we are as human beings, the way we've been created. Hmm. Um, so I, I, I am, my reconstruction has been very slow because I'm testing everything. Mm. And even the example that you just gave of the old and new, the Venn diagram thing I'm doing, I think I've been doing that unintentionally with stuff for a while now, where I'm just like, I'm taking my time and I'm trying to process everything through Jesus and just be like, does this, Mm -hmm. does this match? Nope. See ya. Does this Mm -hmm. match? Nope. Mm -hmm. See ya. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the good fruit stays, the bad fruit gets tossed. And there's a lot of bad fruit I found in the rubble of all that stuff. So yeah, it can feel, I think it can feel daunting and disorienting for sure. But I still have a lot of faith. My deconstruction didn't, Diminished my faith in Jesus. It diminished my faith in the church. Yeah. Yep. I'm kinda yep. having fun. I'm excited. Like the conversations that I'm having with people, I'm excited for I'm really excited for what this looks like. I'm excited for the questions that come in, like the worship leader last week and the question this week and mm-hmm. uh the the uh ladies leading with empathy and uh I, I don't know. All that stuff is very encouraging to me.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really well said, Tim. And to Jennifer, uh, if you're listening, uh, first of all, I the the image you give of I can only live without shelter for so long. I mean that that's a haunting image, yeah. For me, um, I I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I so I was um, uh, twenty nine. And I was in seminary, and I was a pastor, and I went to a retreat with my college students up at Forest Home Conference Center in California. And this guy got up, and he said, hey, my job is to lead Christians back to Christ. And mm-hmm. so his talks were just about how beautiful Jesus was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and something clicked There and it's re clicked at at other times, like when I read The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard or The Jesus I Never Knew, an old book by uh, Philip Yancey, or when I've been around certain kinds of people where there's I came away from that experience with a centeredness that um, was new to me instead of instead of you know looking at the rubble. I mean, and there is so much, I open up Twitter every day. And today I'm reading about what was found on this kid's computer. Josh Dugger uh, from 19 Kids and Counting, a show that Justy used to watch years ago, um, and and it's and it's horrifying. And you're wondering about the the culture that kind of grows up that that um, that allows this sort of thing, even after it's been identified previously, to keep continue growing. I mean, it's it's maddening. And the only thing I I come back to, the only thing I come back to uh, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, that's all I have. That's literally, and and John confuses the crap out of me. So (laughs) I put John, I just set John over here. Um, For me, I just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over and over and over. I I just read them over and over and over, chapter a day, over and over and over and over and over. And it is the only way for me I've stayed sane And exactly what Tim has said. When you get to the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus gives, embodies what it is to actually be Christian, right? I mean, what it is to follow. And throw out everything that doesn't feel like that, or look like that, or sound like that. And do it unapologetically. Um, This is not the time to be... Uh, tolerating, when you're rebuilding, it's not the time to be tolerating nonsense. It's the time to dig for something that's real. And um, for me, that's the sermon is is where I, where I go. Uh, Luke's retelling of the Jesus story is super compelling to me because it's constantly, he's constantly chasing um, the lost sheep of Israel and those outside the kingdom of Israel. And he's having to yeah. justify the religious leaders. His attempts to, to bring and welcome the marginalized and the notoriously sinful of his day. And so, um, and, then, and then from there, from that place, and, and that takes, I mean, that I have to go back there and sit there a lot. <laughs> um, I can then begin to venture into Acts. And Acts is one of the most helpful books for me because without Acts, I can't make sense of Paul. And um and so Luke acts, that combo, that's where that's kind of my center about Doctor Luke Chronicles. Yes. Doctor Luke Medicine Man. Um and uh that was Dr. Quinn Medicine woman, just in case anyone missed that. Very I don't know. <laughs> is that an eighties or nineties reference? I don't I I don't even uh, know.
1: I don't know. I would <laughs> say too, like the what has been the one of the most helpful things for me is, has been to find a community even a small one of people that are sorting through the debris also and are trying to like everyone's trying to look towards jesus and reposture and figure out what this is supposed to look like so i, I feel like i'm having those conversations <coughs> like, you know mike mentioned that we have a, uh, we, uh, uh you know every day or so through text messages and that kind of stuff but i also have people here in my town that i'm trying to process through all this stuff with and we're constantly just like what what is church? what does it mean to be a community of people gathered around that are trying to uh, pursue this new creation stuff yeah. and yeah um, and if you don't have that if you're in a place where you're new or fresh, we still are trying we have that micro community Facebook group and micro communities got obviously demolished at uh, we just started it right at the beginning of the pandemic um but I still have a lot of hope in that that we can help pull people together i know everyone's all zoomed out but just like we talked about with the loneliness thing um i i tried to reboot the micro communities and have people from all over just log into zoom together just to talk and to i don't know encourage one another but i think that that there's places to to find and cultivate community yeah. with like-minded folks
0: yep yep i agree so n- n- nothing fancy Um, I find that, um, I, I don't, I'm not a huge, like pray for hours long, but I've been praying the Lord's prayer now for a year and a half. And that has been wonderfully reconstructing for me to pray that, to sit in that. We talked about it in previous episodes if you want more, but but please respond to us. We'd love to hear more from you about what you think, um, what because what could work for you? I mean, there are you know people that have reconstructed using art, nature, music, film, literature. Um they I use all of those. Yeah, totally, totally. My reconstruction and deconstruction both are I mean, they're constantly happening. They're just yeah, ongoing. Absolutely. And and I call that discipleship, right? I mean, that's not to me, that's not deconstructing anymore. that's just what it means to follow Jesus. This is what Jesus does to his followers, and he did it in the first century, and he does it today. yep, you know, and we and, yep. and he's so gracious that he receives us, however jacked up we're showing up to the party. I wish there was a better
1: word for that because reconstruction has a finality to it, and I just don't think it's ever
0: final. like no, no it, well, at least it shouldn't be. yeah. Um, at least it shouldn't be final. And so the, the things that are helpful to me now, in some ways look like the things that were helpful early on, but they come from an entirely different place, um, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. And, um, and so they fuel and open up different sort of imaginings that, you know, I find unbelievably compelling. I've never been more invigorated. To pursue Jesus than I am now because the contrast is so stark, um, mm-hmm. that I'm just sitting and looking and, and then I look into my own heart. I don't, I can't I just look at the Duggar kid and without going into my darkness, uh, and my lust and, and my, um, uh, pursuit of, um, the forbidden or whatever. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, you, Jesus drives us right back there. So it's not just a reconstruction so that I could withstand how crazy Christians are, but it's a reconstruction that's not based on the purity codes that I was raised up believing were the defining marks of discipleship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Breaking those cycles, like last week's episode, breaking out of those, that sin that consumes or the, 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 um, the Act of things we get locked into that consume, and you just psych, you just sit in that, yeah, all consuming cycle, breaking that cycle. When I would work in the prison, too, we always had that like that. Um, when I was working on a documentary in there, we had the phrase that we were always saying, hurt people, hurt people, people. but healed people, heal people, yeah. And this this idea of breaking cycles, and I was okay, so I was thinking about this in regards to last week's episode, too, with the sins of the father carried down to the son. And looking at the idea of how you were defining sin on the last episode, and what that looks like generationally for those cycles to hand down, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not like not like being judged or being disciplined or whatever because of the sins of your father, but no. being caught in those cycles. That's
0: right. That's right. That's
1: yep. Was reframing a lot of that too, because that that takes away some of the angry God that like punishes generations. It's like these generations get caught in a tumble cycle that has to be broken right like someone has to be healed to break that cycle and heal that's right and then help heal other people it's really it's illuminating a lot of stuff
0: mike we are the (laughs) illuminating um they uh so we got heavy stuff today buddy oh boy because there's another whole layer we haven't even touched (laughs) to the problem and the solution and that is the powers the principalities oh boy I know. And so so let me give a couple of disclaimers right off the top. All right? I'm going to call Michael Heiser and get him on the phone real quick. Seriously. First, the big disclaimer is a lot of this I am in the middle of learning myself. So I'm going to state it more confidently because I'm, I'm, I'm it's new to me. Um, and so so my statements of it are going to sound like I'm farther along than what I am. Uh, so so I'm not. This is this is stuff that's been brewing the last several years, but like I just have dedicated two weeks right. to it and I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> um so second, and secondly, I'm channeling loads of people here, much smarter than me. Um some of the people I'm channeling um, not surprising, uh into right. Um <laughs> A guy named Greg Boyd, Mm -hmm. who wrote a book called God at War in the late 90s that was, and and then he wrote another one called Satan and the Problem of Evil, um, that introduced me to some of these categories. Um, Tim Mackey, the the Bible Project, did some stuff on the Divine Council, but they were channeling a guy named Michael Heiser, and um, I had heard of Heiser prior to that and had read a book of his called the unseen realm yeah. um there's a guy named gregory beal that i've referenced before who's done a lot on eden john walton has done a lot on genesis one uh among other uh, among other scholars um there's some other old testament scholars that i'm kind of leaning on to but um so i'm channeling a bunch of stuff all right so let just to be clear, I'm channeling, and I'm channeling Frank, more Frank Peretti and Frank Peretti, um, Neil Anderson, uh, and um, and 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 that's my third disclaimer. Um, I grew up v- in a very, 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 very conservative religious environment, but was brought into by very safe, healthy people a, a, a more robust of uh, spiritual warfare sort of mindset. Mm. And, um, and that, you know, I, I remember I would have, um, I was, I was an investment banker out of college and I was thinking and praying about becoming a youth pastor. And and I would have these demonic dreams where some evil voice would, would, um, show like would, would present itself, uh, in my answering machine. And, uh, which is, you know, that's a callback to before cell phones, um, and I, I would feel oppressed and I would feel like something was sitting on my chest and I couldn't yeah. breathe or swallow or move. Um, I had experiences where like another pastor and I were called to a house where things were happening in the house. And um, and we were, we were invited just to pray over the house. And like there was this prayer that the guy that was kind of leading it was doing. Uh, it was very like it was a formula, and it very, the words were very important, and very specific. And there was this piece of furniture that had been imported from somewhere that was really evil looking. And uh, I don't know, we just like put that outside in the garage, and then the these weird things in the house went away. Um, <clears throat> I have no idea if any if that's real or not. I, I was yeah. part of a couple of um a couple of times where it looked like somebody was demonized and we i mean there was one there are a couple of very specific instances where there were physical reactions that were just not yeah it was not mental it didn't feel like it was mental illness although it could have been but but there was there was something provoked and provoking that was going on uh and so I come from uh, I've certainly been open to the idea that there are demonic spirits and that realm is real and that there's another team on the field as the our vineyard brothers and sisters like to say um but th- but there's but that doesn't that hasn't explained for me um a lot of paul's thinking oh oh and Gombas, oh my goodness so Gombas has a chapter he wrote a book called oh oh um The Triumph of Ephesians. Ah, is that what it is? Dang it. What's it called? The Triumph of God? Anyway, look it up. Um, He's also got a chapter in his book, Power and Weakness, on the powers. But it's like the Triumph of Ephesus, the Triumph in Ephesians, the Triumph of Ephesus, maybe. What do you got? Nothing yet. Okay, perfect. Anyway. Everything's working slow today. Including my brain, evidently. Um, you know what? I just downloaded it again on Kindle. the drama of Ephesians. The drama of Ephesians, yes. The subtitle: in the Triumph of God. Yes. So his, so he has a whole chapter, but it's all throughout the book on kind of the apocalyptic mindset. So yes, Gombus, of course. Um, uh, and so, so when I, when I've been wrestling through, okay, what's wrong with the traditional conception of sin, salvation, judgment, wrath, heaven, hell. And and it's not just what's wrong with it, but it's like, what's missing. And Mm -hmm. then when you add the missing stuff in, you just get a different story almost entirely. Yeah. And one of the things that has been missing is any, any real conception, just like we saw with hell, right? Mm -hmm. Total misconceptions about hell. Well, we've, there, there's, there's nothing in that story that takes like the powers and principalities seriously. It's just, it, or if it does, it makes them all individual that they're demons literally fighting for my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and that spiritual warfare is this, you know, um, our technology didn't work before we were trying to record and the joke was, well, it must be, you know, satanic <laughs> attack. Um, and so I've been exposed to categories of thought that are much bigger, broader, and I think more biblical, that don't necessarily negate the other right. stuff, but but they do call it into question in some ways. So so anyway, that's a ton of disclaiming. it'll It'll take <laughs> us it'll take us at least two episodes to go through all this. All right. Um, I don't even know because I don't want to do another hour and a half episode, and we're forty minutes in. <laughs> so we'll see how far we get. Um so all that is to say here here's where I'm at and can be absolutely r- shaped but there's enough that has converged from all kinds of different sources that I'm like, "Ooh, this this feels sturdy." Yeah. Um th- there's something here to it and I and I buy it. So yeah. it, it's not that I don't buy it. It's like, no, I buy it. But I'm still new, uh, and so what I'm doing now is I'm reading the authors that the people I quote read. Okay. So, so what really got me into Jesus studies was when I started looking at NT Wright's uh, bibliography, and then I would, was reading the scholars that he was reading, right. and interacting with, and that I mean that just opens up like gobs of stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's that's where we are in this current setting <laughs> that's a lot of disclaiming my goodness all right so uh so let's start in genesis one all right that's um, a Good place to start yes shocking and i'll do my best with this um the part of i part of the 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 hard the hard thing in genesis is that it, they conceive of the cosmos or cosmos as i pronounce it Um, So much differently, you know, we, we, when we talk about the earth, the planet, we see it as a sphere surrounded by space. Uh, The ancients saw it as a disc surrounded by water Mm. that rested on pillars. And, um, and so when we get into Genesis one, we're, we're dealing with that framework um, that sort of cosmology. And obviously, there are questions then about, well, if they're wrong about that, then right. what about the other stuff? And, and those are very legitimate questions. But but, but what I'm going to try to do is to have us here and encounter Genesis 1, as you, you might have encountered it if you were ancient Near Eastern. Um, right. you, there would be clues that you would pick up on. Um, and, and there's a picture that's being painted that I don't think we can move out of until we understand that picture. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, once we get the picture, then we can talk about the picture. Yeah, but let's get the picture first. Mm-hmm. So the picture is kind of a it's three tiers, three levels uh, of cosmos. and um and and so if you envision the earth as a disc surrounded by water, uh, above and below will will that that will that image will guide us here as we go through Genesis 1. So I'm literally going to read the whole chapter and comment on it. So lots of Bible right. today kids, giddy up. Um In and the threads beginning. and threads that we will not see again until next episode. All right? So so if I if I stop to point something out and it seems super random, there there's something further down the road that's coming that references back to this. All right? <coughs> So I'm working. I'm working today, Tim. I'm working. <laughs> I already have questions. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Genesis 1:1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the first phrase in the beginning, we did a whole podcast on that because it's actually it actually means when God started creating, he began yeah. by. So it doesn't it, it isn't it isn't and and some people actually take the first sentence to be the creation story. He created Mm. the heavens and the earth there, right there in verse one. And then the rest of Genesis one is about the creation of the land. Yeah. Um, We're not going to go into that, but I just wanted to note that even the first phrase is not (laughs) in the beginning. It's when God started creating he. Right. I love that the Bible just starts off right away. Super complex, <laughs> totally. And, and then, and then the word for God here is interesting. In in chapter two, the word for God is Yahweh, His covenant name, uh, revealed in Exodus, and obviously known by the editors and writers of Genesis. But in in, in Genesis one, it's the it's the word Elohim. Hmm. Elohim is how you would say it, and Elohim, the Elohim is. It can function as a name, but it's it's a category title. It's like the word human. Um, right. I can I can talk about my Tim, my friend Tim, who's a great human, and mean one human specifically. But human, if I use it, is refers to a category of of entities. right now, this is true of Elohim. So and Elohim is a plural word interesting that when, hmm. when it, ends in I am, it's plural. And so Elohim singularly that there's a singular verb after this that creates Barah. And, um, and so what you have is a category title, uh, the, in, in the plural form that, that create, There's a singular verb of creation. In other words, it's not a bunch of Elohim creating, it's just one. Um, the elohim or elohim creates great elohim is going to come back though because as we and this is a preview for next episode there there are more than one elohim right and that's that's where we're going <laughs> to get funky some funky yeah, yeah. stuff in the old testament there are other elohim but but yahweh is always distinguished from them so it's so right. the jewish declaration that there's only one god is true but there are many spiritual beings yeah. So Elohim just means of the class of spiritual being. Oh man! So so when God is like the the Lord of hosts, the hosts <laughs> turn out to be the other Elohim, um, yeah. and He will be distinguished from them by like He is the He is the Lord of lords, or He is the the highest of all uh, the gods, or He is God most high, and so so because He created. The others. Now I'm previewing stuff we're going to get to. This isn't in the text yet, but I'm just drawing attention to this word Elohim that we're going to spend a lot of time exploring in the next episode. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens here just means the sky and the earth just means the land, the ground. All right. Nothing more significant than that. Now the earth was formless and empty and these two words are really really important because they define what we're going to do for the next 6 days formless and empty or wild and waste is another very popular translation means wild the, and waste as i said waste yes that there that 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 the earth is unformed unordered and uninhabited it's empty and it's formless okay um and the spirit Uh, Darkness, excuse me, was over the surface of the deep. Again, here's waters, these chaotic waters, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, again, just drawing quick attention, heavens and earth are two realms that we're going to start encountering in a little bit. Uh, Formless and empty is unformed and unfilled. What God's going to do for the rest of Genesis 1 is he's going to form and fill. The first three days, he's going to form by separating. So he's going to separate in the first day, he's going to separate light and dark. Second day, he's going to separate water from water. The third day, he's going to separate water from land. And then the next three days... If formless dealt with the first three days, empty is going to deal right. with the next three days. So he's going to fill each of these realms with inhabitants so that the earth is no longer formless and void, formless and empty, wild and waste. It's now ordered and filled. Yep. All right. So that, that sentence defines what he's doing in this panel. These the, the, he, the, the days are grouped together in two sets of three with the seventh day, obviously standing uh, dramatically apart. So God is going to separate and it's fascinating. He makes um, 10. He speaks 10 times over the course of the chapter uh, over the course of those days. Uh, There are eight acts of him making something uh, because two of the days, day three and day six, there, there's a double creation, but the, the number seven is the, is the number that's all over the place. There are seven days. There are seven Hebrew words in the first sentence. There are two times seven Hebrew words in the second sentence in the sentence about the seventh day there are 3 lines of 7 hebrew words i mean it's just like this this is brilliant but it's yeah. it's not this is not some abstract slung together weird sort of poetry this is like incredibly detailed every word matters yeah. there's a rhythm and a tempo to it so it's not it's not just this haphazard thing that's like hey there's this ancient tradition that we carried with us no 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 this was put together brilliantly all right so um we're going to start forming so on day uh number 1 he said let there be light And there was light. God saw the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness and he called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. So God here separates the light from the darkness. Okay, that becomes important in day three. So there's this realm of light and dark that's created, right? And And that we don't know this yet, but those light and dark that realm will then begin to uh, move. Uh, It will order time for us, right? Light and dark orders time for us, periods of darkness and periods of light. So that's day one. The second day, God separates the waters. So picture the deep and then picture God splitting the waters vertically so that there are waters above and waters below and space is made for something in the middle. All right, now he separates the waters by introducing something called a vault. It's the Hebrew word is rakia or um, old translations will have firmament, which is a great Bible word, the firmament. (laughs) So let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above the vault. All right, so it's kind of like like a snow globe dome is what the vault is. All right. Um, uh, And it was so, and God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning. Now the ancients would say, when you look up to the sky, the reason the sky is blue is because the sky is clear and it's holding back the waters. Hmm. That's why it's a blue sky. So we're still surrounded by waters, but there's this snow globe thing that kind of appeared in the middle of the waters, right? And it's the, if you picture the half globe over a flat disc, then what you've got is the vault, the sky, yeah. right? The firmament, um, which is such a fun <laughs> word to say. So, so in, in day two, you have to separate light and dark. Day two, you have the separation of the waters. All right. Day yeah. three, um, you have, uh, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and let dry ground appear. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God, there's a double creation here on day number three. Then God uh, said, let the land produce vegetation. And then it goes through the various seed bearing plants that reproduce according to their kind. And this is what happens on the third day. So um, what was previously formless or wild and chaotic There's order. There's three realms that have been created. The light and dark realm, this vault that now separates the waters above from the waters below, and then in the middle of the waters above and the waters below is land. Yeah. Okay? Makes sense so far. Firmament. (laughs) All right. Now, what God is going to do is fill each of those realms. All right? All right. So yep. Genesis, the first three days we're forming, next three days we're filling. Forgive me if I'm over making the point. So on the fourth day, let there be lights. And, and the word here is lamp. Let there be lamps like menorahs. Uh, it's the same word that's used for like the light in the, the lamp in the tabernacle. He play um he, let there be lights in the vault of the sky hmm. in the Rakiah to separate the day from the night. Now it's interesting here that the lights in day one God separated the light from the dark. Now these lamps are given the authority to separate the light from the dark. Yeah all right now just just wait till you hear the word that's used. He says, um, uh, let there be lights in the vault of the sky. Remember in day one he said let, or day one he said let there be light. Now it's let there be lights in the sky. In the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, let them serve as signs or symbols to mark sacred times, days, and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights or great lamps, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser lamp to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth to, gov- to govern. All right, this is a royal rule word to govern the day and night and to separate light from darkness now who separated light from darkness in day one god did god yes so now the lights are separating light and darkness and they're invited to govern the day and night that's interesting yeah you're smiling you can see where this train is headed (laughs) so that's the fourth day all right Um, so, so you have the moon, sun, and stars, um, which were worshiped in other cultures, which is fascinating. There's this polemic going on here where the the gods of the other nations like Egypt, obviously worship the sun God here in, in Israel's telling of the story. Those are all created. Those are all created things. Um, the creator God stands behind all of them. So we're going to come back to that because that, this verse here is super, super important. But we're just noticing on the fourth that he creates these lights. On the fifth day, he fills the sky and the sea, All right? So you have the, you have realm one, the realm of light and dark, uh, the realm of Rakia, the vault, right? Now there are lights that govern and separate. Then we have these waters, right? They're separated in a day two. Now their waters are going to be filled. So birds actually fill because they fly closest to the waters above. Are and you sea sure creatures. aliens? It could be aliens too. I mean, I'm more open to that than ever based on <laughs> the internet. Uh, and then obviously fish uh, swim in the waters below. Yeah. And so God fills on the fifth day. Uh, The waters teem with creatures. The sky is full of creatures. Then on the sixth day, he does another double creation. So on the sixth day, he says, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, wild animals according to their kinds, livestock according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. Then he said, let us us make humanity. The us there is something we're going to come back to, of course. Let us make humanity in our plural image, which we're going to come back to, of course, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the livestock. So they're the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, right? So this, the waters above, the waters below, and the land. That's where the humans are ruling. But this rakia, yeah. this vault, this other thing where the lights are, that's governed by the lights. Yeah. That separate light and dark. And then God says, I give you every seed-bearing plant. So on the sixth day you have double creation of animals and then humanity. And then we're tying back to the third day by giving them the plants that were created in the double creation on the third day. All right. Then it says, <laughs> God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. All right. Now, the one of the things that I'd never noticed before uh, was the correlation between the images that were to rule over the land and the seas and the lights that were to govern the day and the night. They're each invited to rule a realm. So even though we have three realms that are now full, there are two different realms of authority. So there are these parallels between the, the, the beings, the lights that, govern day and night and they separate right which is what god was doing and now you have and they're called signs which is symbols they they're pictures of something else they're a partial reality that points to another reality all right that's fascinating they're called symbols humans are called images right and then and then our job so the so the symbols govern the the day and night and they separate light from darkness which is what god had done the humans are images that now rule over the waters above the waters below and the land all right yeah. do you see that yes okay that that's new to me i was yeah. like oh oh that's really interesting and and this the symbol bit um Leads to a fascinating discussion about, did the, did the Israelites believe that the sun, moon, and stars were spiritual beings? Right. Um, Because, because what, what we're trying to argue, um, because, because listen to this. I mean, the thing that's so funny is like the creation story ends Genesis uh, two, verse one, Thus the heavens and earth were created created, excuse me, completed in all their vast array. Now vast array isn't isn't the best way to translate that. It, it actually is we're completed in all their various hosts. So hosts of heaven, the Lord of hosts, those refer to other spiritual beings.
1: Yeah. Okay, so
0: so the idea is that we've now we 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 have we've taken six days to fill three realms, and then uh, to form and then fill three realms, but then there's there's God has delegated rulership to the lights, and to the humans. Right? Yeah. God has delegated some authority. Now, we're not told at this point in the story anything about this. And in English, we obviously just I've always just read right past this, and we're like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Um, the, but the, 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 one of the key points is that the stars are symbols in the same way that humans are images so that there's some sort of delegated thing going on. And then when that, when they, when the writer says, and they were completed in their vast array, that's actually, they were completed with, with a wide variety of hosts. Like, like there's this, there's this, there's this sense that, um, even though it's pictured vertically, above and below language, there are these two realms of authority. Yeah, and um, and then we we get to other places where the the lights are referred to as beings. Uh, so, like in Job thirty-eight, so Elohim obviously was a category, um, and one of the places where other Elohim are referenced. The, the phrase will be used, the sons of Elohim, Elohim. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, or it'll be translated the sons of God. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and that phrase is never used of humans. Um, yeah. That phrase is always hu- used of other spiritual beings. So notice this phrase from the book of Job. Tell me, uh, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you know who marked off its dimensions. Surely, you know, who stretched a measuring line across it um, on what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Now, this is this is these are parallel lines. So the morning stars are usually the brightest planets, and the angels shouted for joy. The angels, the word here is the sons of Elohim. Mm-hmm. And so there there's an equating of the morning stars with the sons of Elohim. And we see this also. We see this also in, um, in Deuteronomy. Oh, my goodness. So <clears throat> I know, I know. I'm losing my voice. I don't know if I'm making any sense. I'm channeling smart people. In Deuteronomy, the, the Hebrews are warned not to make any form and worship that form as if it were a reflection of Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Moses says, you saw no form uh, of God of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Mount Oreb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or woman, or any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars all the heavenly host do not be enticed to bow down to them and worship them because these things God has appointed to the nations under heaven. Okay. Now a a couple of things here. First of all, (laughs) again, the heavenly array or the heavenly host is used synonymously with sun, moon, and stars. And then secondly, um, there's a reference to the to the heavenly host being appointed to the nations. Uh, and that is why you shouldn't worship them. They've been appointed to the nation. So this actually shows back up in Deuteronomy 32, a verse we'll look at next week. But what, we're, what all <laughs> I'm trying to say now is that in the book of Genesis, you have, in Genesis 1, you have just these clues. You have God being called Elohim. You have us and our, in reference to God doing singular things. Yeah. You have where he creates or let us make God, or the humans in our image. And then you have these lights that rule and govern as symbols and these humans who rule, subdue and fill as images. And and you're asking, okay, so what are they symbols of? Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. They're 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 illuminated, and they move. And so so not surprisingly, and and I, I'm not dogmatic at all on this point, but not surprisingly, I think if you were to ask the ancient Israelites, are these are these the sun, moon, and stars? Are these are are these planets, or are they beings? And they would say yes. <laughs> because they're symbols yeah right yeah they point to something else now i don't know if they would say that or not but but all that i'm reading seems to indicate that um sun moon and stars served as signs and symbols of something bigger um and uh and that they were they were comfortable equating the two yeah. um um and, and, and who knows how, where else we can go from that. But the the image seems to be this vast array, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. When we begin, the earth and the sky, the heavens and the earth, they're just formless and empty. When we end, heavens and earth are now, they're filled with inhabitants. Yeah. and there's the, and, and there are two realms, even though there are three realms described, the um, the one realm of the Rakia, the the day and night realm, that even though it was made on day two, that's governed by these spiritual beings, and then the the sea the the skies above or the seas above the, which is the sky, the waters below and the land are governed by these images called humans. All right, so that that's the picture that we get. <laughs> In Genesis one, verse, you know, through the end of, or through the end of like two four, I think is where it is. Now, in Genesis three, and this is the last point we'll make, um, but it's a juicy one. In Genesis three, and this is from Heiser. In Genesis three, we meet a serpent. All right, so let me read the account. Boom. <laughs> When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, this pattern, when something was seen to be good and then it was taken, is going to come back in Genesis 6, which is actually an account, the, the inverse account of Genesis, the fall of Genesis 3 is actually the inverse account of the fall of the Elohim. Um, which, oh my goodness. All right. She took, so, so when she saw the fruit of the tree was good, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed uh, fig leaves together. Now, introducing that decision, we meet a serpent, right? In verse one. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, we're very, you know, most of us are very familiar with this sort of interchange. The the question has always been, all right, really a talking snake? Really? (laughs) Heiser's point is that in the biblical imagination, the heavens and the earth overlap and they overlap in temples. They overlap in high places or mountains. Um, and Eden was a heaven and earth place. Mm-hmm. Eden was not the earth, right? Eden, the invitation of the first, the, the first image bearers was to spread Eden over the earth. Adam and Eve were not the first people made. There were people already on the earth. They were invited to take Eden and expand it. Yeah. All right. To cover the earth.
1: All right. That was the
0: invitation. Yes. And Eden was on top of a mountain. All right. So, so later, like Isaiah and Ezekiel referred to it as a mountaintop. And it makes sense if there was a river that flowed through Eden and then split at the bottom into four different rivers that watered the nation's. So, so this is a heaven and earth space. And whenever you're in heaven and earth spaces, like we get glimpses of these in all the throne room scenes, right? In Daniel or Isaiah, Ezekiel, anytime you have an, an, an heaven and earth scene, when someone from the earth is brought into kind of the space of the heavens, it, it's God pictured as a king on a throne with a court, a royal court. And God being surrounded by other spiritual beings. Now, some of these beings are called uh, cherubim, uh, chera. Uh, what are they called? Cherophim? Oh, dang Cherophim it! Cheraphim and cherubim. Cherubim. I had it right. It just sounded funny. Cherubim. And usually they're amalgamations of a bunch of creatures all put together, and and, and they represent <laughs> they're like a, a land creature, a, a fish creature, and a sky creature, all kind of wrapped oh my into goodness. one. They, Um, And and so there there had to have been cherubim in uh, the garden because remember God puts two there to guard the way back into Eden right right yep now the other spiritual beings that we read about are called seraphim or seraphim I don't know how you pronounce it seraphim and and they so we, we we meet them in Isaiah chapter six all right. In the year (laughs) that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Yes. Above, Above him were seraphim. Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Now, this is from Mackie. I don't know where he got it. But I looked it up and he's right. The word for seraphim means snake it's just the word for snake in fact it means fiery serpent if you want to be really literal about it (laughs) so so and in fact so they don't put snake in there right which is what the word is the word literally means serpent or fiery serpent or snake all right that's the word now there are other words for snake that are used but this is a word that just means a snake Instead, they just, they take the Hebrew letters and like turn it into English. And so the word Hebrew word is seraph. Here we get seraphim or seraphim or whatever. And, um, but what's fascinating is these were snakes, right? These were in the shape of snakes. So if you're somebody who reads the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures a lot, and you meet a snake in a freaking heaven and earth place like eden all right who can talk think act and will right right yeah so heiser is going to argue hey that just isn't random that's a spiritual being yep. who is who is tempting the humans into rebellion and and we we'll find out more about the spirit this class of spiritual beings later But that if if you've read forward and you realize there are serpents around the throne of God, then to read about a serpent in the garden isn't like, oh, where did the serpent come from? Or why is it talking? Or why is it thinking? Or why is it reasoning? Or how did it know the commands of God? Right? And why would Eve listen to it if it's never seen it before? Right. Right? So
1: the word for serpent that speaks to Eve is the seraphim no. no,
0: it's a different word. But but there are but multiple the words that just the... mean snake. Right. That, so, so, yes, and I looked that up. Um, it's a different Hebrew word that has its own story. <laughs> but the, the point Heiser's making is that Eden was a heaven and earth place that would have been totally. populated by humans and spiritual beings. Yeah. And that the serpent image was stock ancient Near Eastern, a stock ancient Near Eastern image for um, for being around the throne of a ruler. Yeah, this was used in other cultures, but but here it is in Isaiah, and 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 the English, our English translations evidently have been afraid to just call it a snake, like it was a fiery serpent who had wings. Yeah. Right. So six (laughs) pairs of or three pairs of wings. So, which is fascinating. And so if, and, and in Genesis, there's this motif that happens over and over and over where disguised, um, uh, where disguised people deceive other people. Right. So you have, you have like E or, uh, Jacob and Esau. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, you have, um, Tamar and Judah. Tamar dresses up and deceives Judah. Uh, Joseph deceives his brothers by dressing differently. So there's this motif of deception you know, going on throughout the thing. And, and so there is, the deception would have been that here is an angel of light. Here's one of the yeah. good spiritual beings right, leading the humans into rebellion, which is fascinating because here, here, here in Elohim is leading the humans into rebellion, a woman. And in Genesis six, the Elohim see human women, and that causes them to rebel. When they saw the human women were good, they stepped in and took, which is ridiculous. Oh my goodness so so we'll get more into that next episode this is enough ridiculousness for one freaking episode <laughs> all right good lord there's some bible project stuff gombas has got some stuff uh like I said Mcnight Michael heiser I mean um and, and the question hold on to the question is this real hold hold off on that for a second yeah 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 because we we just want to we want to tell or at least see the story the bible is actually telling. Yeah. Right? And so so let's just hold off. See, that to me that makes so much more sense than a than a serpent that used to have legs and talked. Right? Yeah, that makes nice. way more sense if this was a heavenly creature in God's court and it actually comport's very nicely with other things we hear about this 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 great leader of angels that had fallen right and um it it makes sense of the punishment that god gives the serpent right because otherwise you're like why is crawling on the ground punishment well if you had freaking wings six six wings yeah (laughs) right and you were used to like jetting around and then all of a sudden so so if you were a being had wings and then you hear your punishment is cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals so you've just been thrown down from the spirit realm to the land you will crawl on your belly and and you will eat dust all the days of your life you have gone from wanting the highest position to now being at the lowest yeah and then there's the super enigmatic and i will put enmity <clears throat> between you and the woman right and between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel Oof. <laughs> which you know we have all sorts of thoughts about but all that is to say that's enough for now um this is i mean this we're, we're just into prehistory, right? This is the mythic prehistory of Genesis 1 through 11. Right. We got it. We're going to hit chapter 6 in the Nephilim next week.
1: Hey-o. <laughs> and then
0: we're going to get into the Psalms where there are now references of of God meeting with the small g gods, with the other Elohim. Good Lord. Uh, in their fallen state. And yeah. that then will lead us into the New Testament where Paul will begin to talk about rulers, authority, dominions, and powers of this present age. And he has something in mind there that's different from the demon that, you know, um, uh, was afflicting somebody that maybe, you know, Jesus comes and encounters. Right. Um, Or or the spiritual warfare kind of motif that I have been thinking of. Right. There's um, a few of those that
1: will be fun to... uh that I just popped into my head for next week that are that are very interesting.
0: Yes. Yes. So you know what's interesting the, about this is
1: the like when Gombas talks about how does he put it? Um, that we've had our imaginations captured or is that how he phrased it? Yeah, our, our imagination's been held captive. But, yes. It's amazing how much imagination is required for this because of um or maybe imagination is the wrong word but our it's just everything that we grew with and have has been so sterilized right that the wonder of this preface that you just introduced right if we can call it a preface to the whole thing it's been so sterilized that all the it's the wonder of it is shocking for lack of a better term and then but it requires so much discipline because our when we do invoke our imaginations, we've often gone haywire with totally the image. You know what I mean? So it's like you you er- yeah. the, er- the error on both ends is pretty wild. Like you get the yes. Da Vinci Code versus you have like just like um woman snake or, or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's right. just like we are are we have to tame our wonder
0: in an interesting
1: way to really encounter we what do. this stuff is.
0: Because, because as interesting as this is, like the Bible is so sober about it. It doesn't encourage speculation. Yeah. Like there, there's literature in Second Temple Judaism, like First Enoch, um, Jubilees, some of those sort of apocryphal books go into great detail hmm. about who these beings are, what their names are, how many of them are. um how many of them there are and and the 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 bible just doesn't do that it just drops these pieces in where you're like oh and and when you are looking at other ancient near eastern understandings of the world it totally fits like this is not an uncommon way to have seen the world there are differences though and and You know, that's where like monotheism, it does exist. This is not saying there are many gods. Um, Not at all. The Elohim are created beings. Right. Um, uh, God, who is a class, a part of the class of Elohim is not. And that's why he is given the title God um, and a name and the name that is above every name. And, you know, and then he shares that with Christ in the New Mm -hmm. Testament. So that Christ has been exalted above these powers. Um, and and then the way Paul construes the powers and how they operate now, that's where Gombas has been really helpful because it's not, the, the encouragement isn't in idle speculation about, you know, because you can take this stuff and run with it. And I've read, I've yeah, read yeah, fictional exactly. accounts of the watchers and the, the Nephilim chronicles and and you're just like, no, no, that's not the point of this. The point, the point is that there are these parallel things that are happening in the heavens and on the earth. Mm -hmm. And there's a fall in the heavens and there's a fall on the earth. There are rulers in the heavens and there are rulers in the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And there, and and there are places where these things overlap. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they'll pop up in the middle of the book of Daniel when, an angel is like, dude, I had to go to war against the prince of Persia, um, you know, to just freaking come and answer you, and you're like, huh? are you serious? But that's a reference to Deuteronomy 32, which is a reference to Deuteronomy 4, which is a reference to Genesis 1 and the lights, right? And you're just like, yeah. oh, okay. So, so, um, you're right. We can speculate, um, but, but. The more the the deeper I dive into the scriptures, the more you realize, wow, this is an articulate, coherent story. Whether or not you buy it is a different right, question. Totally, it just hasn't been told well recently. Ex- y- yes, totally. You know, and if you don't buy it, that's fine. I can understand. I can totally understand why you wouldn't buy it. I I because of Jesus, I buy. I I don't yeah. know that I buy. That the earth is resting on the waters. I don't buy that, but I buy that God used in the same way he uses my accommodated and compromised worldview. Yep. Yes. He can use theirs too. And he doesn't yes. have to correct it in order to make the point.
1: Yes. Absolutely. I think I and mean, the what's so much fun for me, and I mentioned this with the problem of evil stuff last week. And then for this, it's like this this narrative of the heaven and the earth overlap the separation and the goal to reunify yes. that lineage, this all jives so perfect with all that's of that. right. That's so right. So it's it's like when people have struggled with Old Testament and trying to find um relevance in New Testament or relevance to today with Old Testament stuff or like this was just, you know, right. the the part like the angry God versus the loving Jesus and all but everything makes this helps for me, make yeah. the everything cohesive. I'm like, right. oh, I see, I see this. I see this journey. I see this plan. The vocation stuff makes perfect sense. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. us trying to achieve that vocation now as part being part of what we do is trying to live in this new creation, et cetera, et
0: cetera. It all right. makes sense. Right. Yes. And that's why there will be a new heavens and a new earth both are corrupted salvation isn't just yeah. individual human it's 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 and paul will say he's going to reconcile everything even on the heavens on the earth and on that's the, so, in the earth I below got,
1: i got goosebumps because that's like I don't, I don't know what that means but i i don't not, know either it's so fascinating
0: but that's how big salvation is yes totally yeah, yeah. you know what i mean because yep. the, the problem's that big. The problem isn't just that I lusted yesterday and have <laughs> greed in my heart. Right. <laughs> that's a symptom. Yes. Um, and, 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 it, and it is part of the problem. But the problem is just so yeah. much bigger than that. It's, beca- yeah. it's because of those things. Um, and because I was born where all of that's considered normal that i i am enslaved and don't even feel don't even feel enslaved but i'm enslaved because the minute you hurt me i want to hurt you back that is yep. automatic reflex hurt people um, hurt people
1: yep
0: yep uh you do not have to teach me how to be selfish i know i know that <laughs> yeah um you have to teach me how to be thankful right that's yeah. a different so that's thing. why, you don't why have that's
1: to- interesting with the sins of the father being carried down and just this generational these generational totally. cycles that we lock. We're born, I and mean, that makes sense for being like, you know, you are born into sin and which used to be put through in the idea of way someone like, you know, our favorite pastor would say with God hating you because you're filthy and dirty and yada, yada, yada. Right. But this idea right. of being born into these cycles that consume. That's right. That's right.
0: Is That's so right. Fascinating. It is. And, and that we perpetuate them and are victimized yes. by them. Yes at the same time. Yep. None of us, none of us. Analogy. Yes, yes, exactly. The, the whole carbon footprint thing. That's true. That's a great picture of sin. Yeah. Right. My life emits sin. (laughs) Yeah. It just does. And then it Um, affects me in turn. Yes. It it infects me.
1: And yeah.
0: Yes. And, and causes you then to emit, I mean, and so it's this cosmic web yeah. Um of just carnage. And 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 then you realize, okay, that's what Jesus is coming to deal with. Yep. Um and love it. And yeah, and he and and, and if you're gonna have a new heavens and new earth, it has to be dealt with. And then yeah. and then it has to go, old creation has to go somewhere. And so whether that's destruction outside the city, who knows? um the dynamics of heaven and hell are already at work in the world absolutely yeah. right jesus introduces us to that in his prayer in the lord's prayer yeah the dynamics yep. of heaven are at work already <laughs> here <laughs> likewise the dynamics of hell james tells us that Yep. right so you can call them old creation new creation absolutely or you call them heaven yep. and hell now that's not all they are right right but they're it not helps, just it really dynamics to understand yeah Right, yeah. Jesus. I mean, Jesus is warning against something, yeah, and 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 um, talking about a hope for something, yeah. But um, man, it's. I just think it's. So so I mean, all we're doing, and, and and who knows? This could be just freaking wrong. I mean, don't you have to take our words? The reason I'm telling you who I'm channeling so that you can read their work or read people who object to their work. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I'm just saying as I've, as the, as the layers, so, so you start with N.T. Wright and Surprised by Hope and he says, hey, the Christian hope isn't heaven, it's new creation. Heaven yeah. is the first stop in a round trip journey. <sighs> yes. You start there. And then you say, oh my goodness. Well, that parallels Genesis one and two, right? Which is yeah. and the vocation there is shows up in the vocational aspects of revelation as well. Well, what else shows up? Well, Eden, there are these echoes of Eden, and then you've got you've got some sort of weird dynamic happening outside the city. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but you begin to peel that back. Well, then what's how does the crucifixion and resurrection and life of Jesus, why is it needed now? If the goal yeah. isn't just heaven and and the stamp of hey you got Jesus's righteousness and right. and Jesus got your sin, um, if it's not needed for that, then what what else is it doing? Yep. And so you just keep peeling back these layers to the story, and 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 you're just going oh my goodness, and this means this means prayer is different than what I thought, and this is why, <laughs> yeah.
1: you know what I mean. Yes, I was having this conversation yesterday where I um, was talking about what is ministry Mm. um, because ministry has been built on this idea of um, saving people. Right, Um, right. So ministry instead becomes something else about helping illuminate people out of these cycles to embrace new creations so correct it it changes like the idea And does that save them yes but yeah but not in the not in the way that we've grown with so it's like a something like a revival or these mass things where you're just like do this thing to try to get a bunch of people to say this little whatever and then you know how many did we save today we saved it right but living like Gamas has been saying forever and, and being invested in your small community and right. and having an effect on the little larger the little larger community around you or whatever that makes sense because you're trying to foster communities and lives that are embracing this new creation or pushing forward to it and then being that vocation of bringing that new creation or the understanding yeah. of it or whatever i'm processing out loud but um, yes. it re- it reframes all and so the question last week with worship i don't know the answer to it still but the reframing of it uh as an interesting thing to tackle the reframing of ministry the reframing of sunday morning totally the reframing of prayer
0: reframing of yeah. prayer, all of it yeah 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 and and that's and again i mean i don't know man it, it the reframing of the
1: reconstruction this... question from the beginning of this episode what does reconstruction <laughs> mean totally and it's just repentance it's just okay like repentance makes more sense the The term, the definition of repentance, like turning away and reposturing. And returning home. Yes. Yes. That makes more sense. The the definition of that word and that idea makes more sense in this conversation.
0: Why why do I? Yes. I want to put off the old creation dynamics of sex and exploitation and lust. And I want to embrace new creation dynamics. You're going to turn away from that. and Yes. (laughs) <laughs> all right. Well, we went an hour and a damn half.
1: Well, I, you know what? Who cares? Well, well, last week when I talked about a mission statement that was um, fostering uh, wonder and awe, and uh, this does exactly that. Yeah. So, well, I hope so.
0: It doesn't me. It doesn't sure. me. So and, goal and, achieved this phone call. <laughs> so anyway, my friends. All right, we're done. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give us peace in these days. Amen. 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 Until next time, friends. Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxpodcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash voxpodcast, on Instagram at voxpodcast. And on Twitter, at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.